uh, your attention, if you would, to the scripture. And as we do that, uh, please pray with me. Father in heaven, now that we come to your word, I pray that you would open our minds, hearts uh, to this to this word. Uh, it does seem on these communion Sundays that we get here a little quickly, but it's important to us uh, to settle our minds and our hearts, uh, to realize that um, this is the very word of God. This isn't just the thoughts of, of men, uh, but it's your thoughts, you worked in the life of this one named Luke to write as he did and to write words that would strengthen us and as we learn and understand them to fill our very souls. And so, Father, we pray that you would work that in us even as we think about these things together this morning and as we hear your word. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn, please, to Acts and chapter 16, Acts chapter 16, I just want to read verses 6 through 10, Acts and chapter 16, please. Acts 16 and verse 6, hear the word of God. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, and having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia, and when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach uh, the gospel to them. I, I wonder if we can even feel this, this particular scene, to feel what it, what it must have been like uh, to be in Paul's shoes uh, during this, this time period. We read it very quickly. It took probably a number of weeks, perhaps even up to a month and a half. He traveled uh, more than 300 miles during this brief uh, reading. Uh, but, but it could have been a bit frustrating to him uh, as well, because Paul had a plan. Paul had a sense of what he wanted to do, but it, it seemed to be thwarted at every turn. Um, uh, he began, you might remember, if we go back into chapter 15, there had been this council in Jerusalem. And uh, he, it, it was wise to him, he thought, uh, in, a, in a reasonable way, probably a godly way, that it would be good for him and for Barnabas to go back and to, to to, to go to the churches that they had established along their first missionary journey. And if you look back into chapter 15 and verse 36, it starts out like this. This is after some days Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. He, he, in a pastoral kind of way, he wants to go and make sure everything's okay. He wants to go and, and see what needs they might have that need to be met and so forth. He has this... this uh, this, this letter now or this conclusion that the council in Jerusalem had drawn that, that uh, these Gentiles don't need to 
to, to go back through uh, the Jewish law. They don't need to become Jews religiously in order to follow Christ. And so he, he has that word and he wants to strengthen them, which you remember means to come alongside them and kind of be a, put a stake in the ground for them that they can lean against to be strengthened, no doubt, by, by preaching and teaching and sharing with them the truth, by sharing his own life with them, by praying for them and so forth. So he wants to strengthen them in the midst of this. All very, very good. But then, but then a dispute arises. We won't read it. I won't even preach on it. We'll get to this next semester in our Wednesday night suppers. I want to talk some about what happens when churches have disputes. But, um, um, but he has a dispute with his dear friend Barnabas. Now Barnabas wants to take John Mark with them. John Mark had gone with them on his first missionary journey. And their first missionary journey didn't stay with them very long. Headed back to Jerusalem after a little while. And now it appears on, on this journey to go back and revisit these churches. Barnabas wants to take Mark with them. And Paul simply doesn't. And so a sharp disagreement comes between, between Barnabas and, and Paul. These dear friends. And they part company. Uh, Barnabas takes Mark and they go down to Cyprus. And, so, and Paul hooks up with a man by the name of Silas, which we've come across just a paragraph or two before where I just read in Acts chapter 15, uh, Silas being known as a prophet. Barnabas was being known as an, an encourager, the son of encouragement. And so now Paul takes with him this man, uh, Silas, who's known as a prophet. Whatever that meant in that first century time, that's how Silas was known, and so now Paul and Silas hook up, and they go, and they and they pursue the original plan. They they pursue this plan to go back to the churches to encourage them. These churches that had been established on Paul and Barnabas' first journey um, together, and it, it was blessed by the church. Notice in chapter fifteen and in verse forty, we read, "But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord." And so it seemed to be right with the church that Paul and Silas would go out in the way that they did. They, they blessed them to the very uh, grace of God. Verse 41, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So, so all seemed well. And, and not only that, but, but, but he had a really good turn of events when he went to Lystra and Iconium, because in Lystra he found this young man named Timothy, who would become a companion with Paul and others and be a great blessing to Paul. If you want to read some of the most, some of the sweetest writings in the New Testament. Read Paul's letters to Timothy, first and second Timothy. There was a deep affection that Paul had for this young man whom he called his son in the faith. And so he found Timothy there uh, and, and took him along. And so it was a great blessing. And, and it seemed like that, that everything was going according to plan. Notice verse 5 in chapter 16. We read, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. I mean, that's precisely what, what Paul wanted. He wanted to strengthen them. He wanted to see the numbers increase. And so all that was happening. So, so this plan was going perfect. It couldn't have been anything better. Uh, and he had the bonus of Timothy along with him as well. And so then Paul proceeds as he, as he proceeded in his first journey to go to the next town. And he was moving uh, a bit westward at that time. And, and, and it seemed most likely that he would move along in a western fashion and go into a city called Colossae, which we would come uh, to know, uh, and to go to Ephesus, another big city, another port city, another place where he could go, a city of influence. And that seemed to make great sense. If we were traveling with Paul, you get up the next day, where do you want to go? Well, let's go this way, because that's how he always did it. But then he says here in verse 6, uh, he couldn't go that way. He had to keep on this other path near Galatia and Phrygia, 
because he was forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia, not Asia as we know it, but the province of Asia as he knew it. He wanted to go into these, this area of Asia, probably Colossae and Ephesus, but he couldn't go there. And it, and it was by no fault of his own, if you will. It was because uh, the Holy Spirit forbid him to speak. Now think about that. Here's Paul all pumped and geared and ready to go and to talk about Jesus. And he did that everywhere he went with courage and without fear. And, and, and there are times when, when his own life was threatened and all of that. And, and none of that ever stopped him. But somehow, by some means, the Holy Spirit said, you can't speak here. Don't stop. Keep going. Now just imagine what that meant in, in Paul's own life, how difficult that must have been for him not to speak the truth but to continue on traveling and, and to think about the people in the areas to which, in, in which he could have stopped. I mean, no doubt there are people who died in those areas, at least on those days, you know, the gospel eventually came there, in those days who hadn't heard about Jesus. And by God's design, by God's own command, Paul was forbidden to speak. Now, how that particular word came to Paul, we don't know. Was that just something he knew? Was he's traveling along, he had a sense of the Spirit of God with him and says, let's not go this way. Was it Silas and his prophetic word? He says, listen, I'm a prophet, listen to me, don't go that way. Uh, that's the, God is speaking that to us. Was it, was it some political thing where there was simply, um, uh, they weren't allowed entrance uh, to go in a particular way? Was it a circumstantial thing? Were the roads bad? Was it weather? Was it illness? We simply don't know. We don't know the way the Holy Spirit communicated to Paul that he was forbidden to go into that province of Asia. But Luke simply reports it to us just like that. So then he goes on. And then notice he comes up to Mysia, traveled uh, some hundred or so miles more and comes to Mysia. It's other province, and he decides at that point to go in a northern direction to, to Bithynia. Uh, and, and then notice how puts it here. They attempted to go into Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus didn't allow them, and so they end up in Troas. And so here they are in Troas. Can you only imagine what Paul must be thinking by that point in time? Now, I don't know. Maybe he's more spiritual than the rest of us, I trust. And maybe he had more insight than the rest of us might have. But, but here's a man who left to strengthen churches, who left to preach, who left to plant new churches, and he hasn't been able to do that now for weeks. All he's been doing is traveling. And God won't let him talk. God won't let him do precisely what he had in his mind. God had called him to do, and there he was. And so he ends up in Troas, no doubt, wondering, where am I to go and what am I to do? Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel like you have a certain bead on who it is that God called you to be and what he's called you to do, all of that? And, 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 and you know in a general way he's called you to share the gospel. You know in a general way he's called you to love others. You know in a general way he's called you to be holy. And when I say general way, I don't mean that, that this isn't important. I mean that you just know that's, that's the direction you're to head. Uh, and maybe he's even put you in a particular place that you feel called to your particular office or your particular vocation or, or to come to this particular church and minister out of Grace EPC. So that's all set and, and, you, and you have a sense of what that means. You don't know the specifics like how exactly you're supposed to love people or what decision you're supposed to make in this setting or that setting, but you know in general that that's where you're to be. And, and, and then it seems that 
nothing happens. <laughs> and you wonder, why am I here? And what am I doing this for? And, and, and how do I proceed? And how do I live along these particular lines? And I have a sense, I don't know this for sure, but I have a sense at least if I were in Paul's shoes at that moment in time, I might be wondering, all right, what's up? Uh, this worked before. This is the way the first missionary journey just clicked off. And, and this is the exact same pattern, the exact same way I went. And now I try to do what I did before and it's not working. In fact, I know because for whatever reason that it's God who's leading me in a different direction. And then he has this text says, this passage says in verse 9, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. Now, most nighttime visions are called dreams uh, in the Bible. Uh, you know, a vision that you have while you're sleeping is a dream. Uh, and, and, and so it's likely that this was a dream of some kind. We don't know exactly. It's called a vision in the night. And, and you get the sense that Paul very, very clearly sees this man from Macedonia, which was in a little different direction uh, to get to from Troas. Um, but he was heading in the right direction, at least while he was in Troas, getting to Troas. And a man from Macedonia comes and pleads with Paul and says, come and help us. Come and help us. And I'll notice how it's put. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was coming, was standing there urging him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we, now that's an interesting little we, is the first we that we see in, in, in Acts. So Luke, all of a sudden, is including himself all before it's been they, now it's we, so we don't know why the we is there exactly, but Luke is including himself in all of this all of a sudden. Later on, after they leave certain places in Macedonia, it's they again, so maybe Luke was a Macedonian, and so he had come over, and who knows what Paul saw. But, says, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. You can only imagine, Paul gets his vision. And this little word, concluding, means we thought about it. We reasoned together. We explored all of the options. It appeared as if they did it rather quickly. But, but my guess is that the question had come up, where should we go from here? And, and, and I don't know how long that question had been with him, how many days it had been with him. But he gets this vision, and once he does, he tells it to his companions. They think it through quickly, and they say, this must be it. This is clearly God leading us. And so they go into Macedonia. It wasn't unreasonable, because this vision appealed to, to two things that would have been very near and dear to Paul's own heart. One, his love for God and the glory of the gospel. And this is exactly what Paul wanted to hear. He wanted to hear where he was to go so he could, so he could tell people about Jesus. And then secondly, no doubt, his love for the lost, his love for people who needed to hear this gospel. All of that was combined in this vision. So it, wasn't, it was extraordinary, but it wasn't utterly out of the ordinary of Paul's own heart and mind. This appealed directly to him. This wasn't something that he would have been opposed to. It wasn't something that, that would have been completely different than he would have ever thought of in his life, he, he, he wanted to do this very thing, to go and share the gospel with people who hadn't heard it. He gets this vision, and now he's ready and ready to go off and to hear all this and to speak all this. So the question for us is, what do, how does this inform our lives? How does this, how does this inform uh, how we go about the way, that, the way that we live? 
about a month ago, maybe six weeks ago, I was in New Jersey, and uh, I was uh, addressing a group of people, and uh, before I did, for some reason, they wanted to get to know me, which is never my plan particularly. Uh, I just go to preach. I don't go to get to be known particularly. If it comes out in the midst of the preaching, that's fine. But I, my agenda is never to leave going, oh, I'm glad we got to know him. Uh, that gets you pretty much uh, nowhere. Uh, so uh, I'd rather tell them about Jesus. And so, but anyway, we have this little time. And so the first question, one of the first questions asked to me was this. Uh, they said, what is your passion? Now, I knew what they wanted me to answer because of the position that I was in in that particular meeting. And, and I would get there because that is my passion. That is my passion for Christ and my passion for the church and my passion for the gospel and my passion for mission and all that stuff. But just in a very honest way, because that's who I am, I said, quite frankly, on many days, my passion is to live a comfortable life. Uh, It's just really true. Uh, I'm an American. I grew up here. I grew up with all the luxuries and all the expectations that Americans have. And, 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 And I realized that comfort on most days is achievable for us. It really is. I mean, we have enough money, and if we don't, we can make enough money in order to put ourselves in a position where we're relatively isolated, and we can have nice evenings, and we can have a nice church, and we can have nice friends, and and we can live a fairly nice, comfortable life. And I really like that. And I realize that if that is our passion, the book of Acts will be of no interest to us at all. Because Luke's point, and the reason he's writing this, is to give us the confidence, give us the comfort, give us the assurance that the gospel of Christ is continuing and in and with us. That we're part of all of that. This isn't something independent of us, that this, is, that this includes us, this work of the gospel. And that is supposed to, by Luke's desire, I believe, and the Holy Spirit's, to thrill our souls. But if my, my hope and my passion is for a comfortable, nice life, the book of Acts will not thrill me at all. Now, it might thrill me because I know that we win and I know that we triumph and I know that the gospel goes on and I know that somebody hears the gospel and it's nice for them and it certainly has been nice for me. But, but when, I, when I get into the part that says this is about us as well, about us moving on, about God guiding and leading us in a, in, a, in a way, not exactly the same way, but in a way that he led Paul and Silas and Barnabas and Mark and the others to go, um, uh, that isn't all that thrilling. If my passion is to be comfortable and to live a nice, quiet life. And so Luke prods us here. And he says, God's, this is God's mission. And he will see to it. And he will see to it that it gets done. And he'll see to it that it gets done amazingly through you. And then I read this little expression that we read, I don't know, last time or the time before, where Paul says, that it's through many tribulations that we enter into the kingdom of God. And I said, well, no, 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 I don't want that. I, you know, Joel Olstein, modern heretic, 
just written a book called You Can Have Your Best Life Now. Whew, it's horrible. We can't have our best life now, but not by living a nice, comfortable life, but actually by engaging in this mission, by engaging in this work of the gospel that's confusing at times, that's risky at others, that's costly. Because you see, when Jesus calls us to follow him, um, we rarely know where we're going or what we're doing. And we always feel incompetent for the task. There isn't that kind of comfort. The comfort comes to know that he's simply with us and he's simply the one leading us and he's simply the one guiding us. And so Luke has this here to remind us that this work is the very work of God and he's the one who's about it. And, and there are questions we can't answer. We don't know why it is that Paul exactly was forbidden to go to these other places. We know it wasn't because the Macedonians deserved it more. We know it wasn't because they were better than the people in Colossae or Ephesus or Bithynia at that particular moment in time. But we know that it, that was God's plan to get Paul and to get the gospel essentially into what we know as Europe, to get it a little farther along. And we trust that God was going to take care of those other areas to the, to the degree that they needed to be, to, they need to be taken care of. But there was a great question asked of William Carey, the father, we call him, of modern missions. William Carey, somewhat like Paul, had no intention of going to India when he started his, his, his missions, uh, but he ended up uh, in India. And, and a man from India who heard the gospel through William Carey said, why has it taken so long for this word to get to us? I won't read you the answer that William Carey gave. It was an interesting one. The bottom line is because God could glorify himself more by waiting. <laughs> but God is in charge of this missionary effort. And he's in charge using us. He will lead us and he will guide us in the midst of this missionary endeavor. But it has to be the very passion of our souls for if it's not then you see the, the one advantage that, that Paul had in the midst of this is that he was going he was on his way he, he knew his general calling was to go to the Gentiles uh, he knew that his general calling was to go to the churches he knew that his general calling was to share uh, about Christ in, in the way that God had wired him and called him and so he was in the midst of that I mean, if you have a parked car, you can move the steering wheel all day long and it ain't going to go anywhere. But if it's moving, if, it's, if it knows it's a car and it knows it has a direction in which it's to be headed, then you can turn the steering wheel and get it to go in one direction or another. And that really works. And so, so there's a sense in which the, are just being sedentary, just sort of sitting here, just thinking, oh, it'll get on without me. Uh, and we pray for guidance. There won't be guidance other than get off your... Um, um, just get up and go, right? And how the Holy Spirit exactly says that. I'll leave it to him in your own life. But to get up and go. Because, you see, we, we have a sense that God will lead us. The fact that, that, that God leads uh, believers is, is, is an expectation that we must uh, 
and ought to have. In fact, we read it this morning uh, in our profession of faith. Um, Psalm 23. How many times have you said this? But he leads me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. So he gives me strength and encouragement. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Uh, He's the one who, who leads me. We should have this expectation that the very Spirit of God is, in fact, leading me. Psalm 25, which is a, a great psalm. Meditate on this week if you want to have a sense uh, and a, a way to pray that God would lead you. Psalm 25, verse 4, the psalmist prays, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Uh, lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait uh, all the day long. Um, verse Eight, good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his, and his testimony. There's this sense of, of God leading us as, as well there should be. That we are the very people of God. We should know his leading. Proverbs 3, verse 6. How many times have you quoted this to yourself? 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. That is, He'll lead you. To make straight paths means that you're taking all the crookedness out. You're leading in a direct kind of way. I get a sense, and this text doesn't say this, but surely Paul and Silas were praying all the while, God, where would you have us go? We're going in this direction. God said, no, don't go in that direction. Okay, we're going to go in this direction. God said, no, don't go in that direction. Huh, here we are, God. Which way should we go? And God brought him that information about which way he should go. Now you say, does that mean that I can expect visions and that I can expect God to, to lead me in dreams? And the answer is no. And the reason the answer is no is that Paul probably didn't expect that either. That doesn't mean it won't happen. That just simply means it isn't God's primary vehicle to lead us. Visions and dreams and being led in that way are extraordinary. It's not the ordinary means that God uses. Does he use those kinds of ways? The answer is yes. And you might be thinking, what if he gives me a dream and I miss it? Trust me, if God gives you a dream through which he wants to lead you, and he goes to all that trouble to give you a dream through which he wants to lead you, he'll lead you, all right? I mean, that's really out of the ordinary. There are other ways he could lead you. If he's going to go out of his way to do that, then you'll get it. So don't fret. Don't worry about missing a dream or two. Uh, It'll be clear to you. Um, And even as Paul received this vision, he went to the others with him, and he, he checked it, and they concluded that this was really the Lord. Could have been last night's pizza that just, you know, had created this vision. Uh, but no, they said, no, we've been praying for this very thing. This fits exactly what, what our heart's desire is. And surely it's clear to us. This isn't a strange thing. And so they went along and they pursued it because it really indeed was the Lord. But it was extraordinary. It was, it was different. But, but God g- does give us his spirit. We are Holy Spirit indwelt people. You remember Jesus saying to his disciples on the, on the night that he was betrayed, John chapter 14 and verse 15, he says, 
If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. That's the, the very Spirit of God lives within us. It's hard for us to know exactly what that means. Um, I remember my kids, when they first learned that the Holy Spirit lived within them, they would, as believers, they went to the mirror and they opened their mouths really wide and went, see if they could check where is he exactly in there. But it means he's so close to us that the only way to describe his presence with us is that he's in us, he's, he's with us, he's right here. The very Spirit of God. And you see, there's a sense in which we should walk around all the time with this little buzz, this little, um, this little goosebumps, this, this awareness that I'm not alone. And I'm not alone simply because there are other people around me. But I'm not alone because the very Spirit of God is with me. I can't feel Him. I can't, can't, can't necessarily even hear Him. But I know that He's with me. And his promise is that he's with us to lead us. Notice how Jesus puts it in chapter 16 and verse 12. He writes this. He said, I, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he'll not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is, has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And so this very specific promise to these apostles, they would be the very ones to bring the word of God, to bring the truth. They'd be the very ones who would write it down. And so you see, what we have in the scripture is the very Holy Spirit speaking to us. So we have it in book form and we have him within us. So one interacts with the other. One resonates with the other. The writing of the Spirit of God, even as His Spirit lives within us. Thus Paul could write in Romans in chapter 12, again, a couple of verses that we quote all the time. Romans in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. He writes, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and ex acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So he's saying, here's, here's, here's what you need to do. You need to come to God and present yourself to Him and to give yourself to Him. And essentially what we're doing as we come to God to present our bodies to Him, our whole lives to Him, we're saying, take me. Take me anywhere you want to take me. Do with me whatever you want to do with me. I'm simply yours. I've been bought with a price. I am not my own here. And, and, and by your mercies, because that's a scary thing to do, it might appear, to just give it over all the, and let me put it this way, perceived control of your life. Uh, and so we're kind of acknowledging the very one in control, but we're reminding ourselves that he's the God of mercy. And so in his appealing to his mercy, we, he says, I want you to give your life. Just lay it out before me. And then we say, all right, you've, you've got it. Now, now, where are you taking me? <laughs> what does this mean? Verse 2. He says, all right, now that you're mine, don't be conformed to this world. You're mine now. 
I've taken you out of it. All, all, that the, all of the world's values, all that it teaches you is valuable, all that it teaches you to love, that you're to love, I'm, I'm taking you out of that. So don't be conformed there, but be transformed, be different. Now that you're mine, you must be different. We go, all right, how is that to be? Well, we could think that it is to be because of the work of the Spirit in us, and that's certainly true. John chapter 3, we realize that there's a work of the Holy Spirit that, that gives us new life, that changes the very inclinations of our hearts. You remember the prophet, uh, prophet Jeremiah? He says that God is going to, in the new covenant, write his law upon our hearts and our minds. He's going to change the very inclination of our lives. And you say, all right, how does he do that? Well, notice, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So there's something here in the midst of our own thinking, some way in which we're to think that's different than we've ever thought before. Well, how do we get those thoughts in our minds? How do we renew our minds? Renew our minds by the very word of the Spirit of God. Well, how do we get the very word of the Spirit of God? Well, we read the very word of the Spirit of God in us. And so we read it, and he's in us, transforming us by that word. So that when we read that we're to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, uh, that's the very word of the Spirit of God. And that echoes or resonates with the very Spirit of God who is in us. And at one time prior to the Spirit of God being in us, that word would, wouldn't make sense to us at all or it would mean something entirely wrong. But now we know what that means. We're to love God. We're to serve him joyfully. We're to be a blessing to him, to please him with every ounce of our being. And there's something in us, not perfectly yet, but something in us that resonates with that and says, yes, that's real life. That's how I'm to live. I don't know how that's going to flesh out, but yes, that's really true. And that's the Spirit of God leading us, leading us to love God, to desire to worship him, to get on with our lives in him. And then he says, I want you to love one another as I've loved you. And there's a time when that would be like, ooh. But now we realize, no, that's right. That's how I am to live. And that's the very Spirit of God leading us, you see, to love. And then he says, I want you to, to take this gospel and I want you to share it with us, others. And we go, oh, that's risky. <laughs> I don't want to do that. But there's something in us that says, no, that's right. That's right to do. And there's something in us that says, I must be about that, however awkwardly, however difficult, however risky it feels, however reluctant, there's still something in us. And what's that something in us that's leading us in that direction? That's the very Spirit of God. And He's leading us in that direction. And then because He's our guide, what does He do? He leads us into situations. He leads us into situations where we have to love God. He leads us into situations where we have to love others. He sets up those circumstances. And there we find ourselves. Will I trust him here? Will I love him here? Will I love this one here? Will I love that one there? And he sets up those circumstances for us. So don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And how do we know that it's really God? He says, that by testing that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, is acceptable and perfect. He's saying if your mind becomes wizened by the word of God, 
to the things of God, then you'll know His will. You'll know what is pleasing in His sight. But there's no shortcut to it. Um, John Newton, reading a biography about John Newton right now. It's what's been keeping me awake on airplanes lately. Uh, Slave trader, you remember? John Newton, that John Newton. Uh, wrote Amazing Grace, that John Newton, writes this. He says, But how then may the Lord's guidance be expected? He writes, In general, he, that is the Lord, he guides and directs his people by affording them an answer to prayer, the light of his Holy Spirit, which enables them to understand and to love the Scriptures. Right? An answer to prayer. That is, he says, pray about this. Pray that God will guide you. Pray that he really will lead you. Now, don't pray that prayer out of fear. Sometimes we pray out of fear that God will lead us. For fear that if we don't get where he's going to lead us, then we'll always live in this sort of second best life. Oh, I missed it. Oh, I've got to have God's exact way. And if I don't have God's exact way, then I'll, I'll live in this plan B or worse, plan Z for the rest of my life. God's way bigger than that. Ask Jonah. Right? Or any of us. Um, God isn't thwarted because we miss him at one turn. Um, I have this cool GPS system that Karen bought me because I'm traveling so much lately and she knows I'm, I'm uh, directionally impaired and challenged which means I get lost all, this, all the time. I might get lost between here and my office. I always tell people, I can get you to heaven. It's around the block I have a real hard time with. So I'm just not a big directional kind of person. So if you're ever with Karen and me and we're asking you directions, give them to her. But she has this cool, uh, this cool GPS system. And, and, and one of the greatest phrases of my life is the one where this woman says, recalculating. <laughs> and she says that every time we make a wrong turn, which is every time I didn't listen to her in the first place. Uh, and, and I think about God when I think about this woman in this little box. I don't know who she is. We call her Matilda. Uh, but, um, uh, but if she can recalculate, and she doesn't even exist, God can recalculate. So don't worry, don't pray this out of fear that, oh, I've got to get it exactly right and if I don't get it exactly right because you'll look back in your life like yesterday and realize when you didn't get it exactly right and that'll plague you and trouble you forever. God's bigger than that. So don't, don't pray this out of fear. Don't, don't pray it out of the fear that if I don't get it right, then my life will be miserable. It will be, by the way, if you're not following him. But we don't know all the specifics. We don't know where we could have gone but didn't. So, so trust him. And sometimes we pray out of the fear that, that, that if I don't get this right, then I won't have an easy life. Trust me, if you get this right, you won't have an easy life. Remember, it was the Spirit of God that led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. It was Paul who said, it's through many tribulations that we enter the kingdom of God. It won't be easy. And it won't necessarily be easier. You'll just simply be walking with God. It'll be easier in the sense, as C.S. Lewis put it once, that studying makes school easier than not studying. But studying itself is hard. This is why we put it off. And then school becomes harder. Life 
we're to pray that God will lead us. So Newton says, in general, God leads and directs his people by affording them an answer to prayer, the light of his Holy Spirit, which enables them to understand and love the scriptures. The word of God is not to be used as a lottery. In other words, we just don't go in there to, to grab the winning ticket, okay? I need to know what to do with this afternoon. You know, how do I love this person or who do I share the gospel with? So I'm going to read this verse and it will tell you. No, it's not like that. Nor is it designed to instruct us by shreds and scraps, that is just by this and that, little by little, which detach from their proper places have no determinate import. In other words, we have to understand all of these passages in their context. But it is to furnish us with just principles, right apprehensions to regulate our judgments and affections, and thereby influence and direct our conduct. In other words, through it we're learning to think God's thoughts after him. Through it we're learning what God loves and what he hates. And in the midst of that, we're to become wise in him. It's always interesting to me that you can go on a college campus and you can find a 14-year-old in college, in graduate school, majoring in mathematics. But there aren't any 14-year-old philosophy majors. <laughs> right? Because that takes some age. That takes some, some growing in wisdom. That's what that's about. And so all of this takes time. So give yourself that time. Give yourself that lifetime. But get on with it now. You get the sense that Paul knew what he was about. He knew who he was. He knew the, the direction that God had called him. And so he was about that. He didn't know all the specifics. He didn't know exactly where to go or exactly what to do when he got there. Sometimes we'll find in the end of chapter 16 or, or in the next section of chapter 16, he happens on a women's prayer group. I don't think he planned that. He meets this woman, Lydia. He shares the gospel. He was powerless to convert her, but God changed her heart. Then he happens along this demon-possessed girl. And then he gets thrown in jail. But at every turn and in every circumstance, whenever he finds himself, he knows what he's to be about. He's to be about loving God. He's about to be loving people. He's, he's about the sharing of the gospel. That's who he is. It's the very passion of his life. And what Luke is showing us through this is that God will lead us. May it be the very passion of our lives. And we see that. We see the big picture this morning. We have opportunity to do that uh, around this around this table. Um, we see the big picture of it. We, we see uh, that, that it is, in fact, God's work. It shouldn't surprise us at all that, that God leads us in this enterprise. If you begin reading the Bible, you realize, in, in, you begin reading the Bible in Genesis 1, uh, we realize that it really is God's deal. He created us. He created us in His image. That is to reflect Him. That is to show how great He is. And so that was, that was God in the very beginning. And then by Genesis chapter 3, people backed away from that, rebelled against that, not to show how great he was, but to show how great they were. And they sinned and rebelled against him. And so God put into play at that point a way to reconcile humanity to himself. He started it then. He grabs a man named Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, and he says to him, through your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That was God's plan. God knew precisely how he was going to remedy the situation. He knew exactly what he was going to do. And so we see that being played out through the Old Testament. We see it through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We see it as, as Moses comes on the scene and as this family of Abraham becomes a nation. 
And as God calls them to himself and teaches them how he's going to live among them and how that's going to be. And then through the prophets, we see the prophecies of this one who is to come, this one of the seed of Abraham, Jesus himself. And the scripture says that it was in the fullness of time that God sent his son. In other words, time was ripe. Time had become pregnant. Time had become ready to deliver. It was the perfect moment. In what way was it the perfect moment? It was the perfect moment in the way that it was precisely ordered by God. It was his plan. Nothing surprises him. It's all on his schedule. Everything in every way. And Jesus came right in the fullness of that time. It's God's plan. And so when the church began, when Pentecost happened, when the early church was scattered, when the word went to Samaria, when the word went to the Ethiopian eunuch, when the word went to the household of Cornelius, when the word went out from there in Paul's first missionary journey, as the word goes out in this missionary journey in which Paul finds himself, as the word goes out to us and from us, it's all under God. And he says, this is my passion. My passion is that people know me My passion is that people hear this gospel. And he's calling us into that passion. And of course, it's all about Jesus. The night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And after giving thanks, he he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, this is my body, which is given to you. And in the same way, he took the cup. And again, after giving thanks, he gave this to his disciples. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And the apostle says, as often as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we declare the Lord's death until he comes. You see, even in this meal, the very heart of God, the very passion of God, is that Jesus would be declared. That's what he's doing in these days. And he's doing it through us declaring the truth about Jesus. And he's the one who's orchestrating the events. And he's the one who's calling us out. And he's the one who's working in us and leading us and guiding us. And he's saying, this is my will for you. You want to know what my will for you, God says. You you want to know how I'm leading you and how I'm guiding you? My will for you is that you declare this. And he's so impresses it upon us that he gives us this meal so even amongst ourselves we can declare it declare it to us to me declare it to you declare it to all of us corporately that there is reconciliation with God that he really does love and that he really has made a way let's pray Father in heaven I pray now that you'd set aside this bread and this juice for us. That we would realize that you do lead us. That your word is true. That it is right. That Jesus is the savior of sinners. That he is the way, the truth, and the life. So I pray that even now as we come to this table, God, that you'll use this bread and this juice in such a way that enables us to declare this truth. So I pray for me and for us. You will guide us.
and from this day forward that we would know the mission to which you've called us. God, we might know not we might not know the precise place to go. We might not know the precise people to go to. Uh, we might not know exactly how all that's going to work. Father, we're declaring this is true about Jesus, that your mission is right and real, and that you're sovereign over us, and that you will lead us in it, and that we will follow. Father, bless to us the very presence of Christ. May we know that by his spirit he is as close to us as this bread and this juice is, even as it goes down our throats. Lord Jesus, please fellowship with us around this table. Give us great confidence, great assurance that you are with us. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I remind you that this table isn't the table of Grace Evangelical Presbyterian Church, but it's the table of the Lord, and he invites to it all those who who get it, who understand, all those to whom the Holy Spirit has come and, and convinced that we are sinners in the sight of God without hope except in his sovereign mercy. But he is sovereignly merciful, and he's given that mercy to us who believe. For we believe and depend upon the Lord Jesus as he's offered to us in the gospel as indeed the Savior of sinners. And it's our desire now to live to live as, as, as is consistent with being a follower of Christ. That is, one who follows him. That is, one who is guided by him. That's true for you. Please come. These two sections down this aisle to my left. These two down the aisle to my right. Take a piece of bread. Dip it in the cup. And as you do, could these thoughts be going through your head? that I belong to Christ and he leads me. Please come.